Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, I don't know about you, but I have a real problem with now because we are fixated with now. CEOs don't care much beyond their stock options. Politicians only work to get re-elected, so they're focused on now. Consumers want instant gratification. It's all now. That's the economy, right? But what about the future? Is there any mechanism that could see us invest in the future? I mean, sure, we invest in our pensions. But what about the planet, for example? Are we prepared to compromise our lifestyle if it creates a better economy and a survival economy in the long run? That's Today on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome along. Right, well, the focus on risk and reward, that is what powers how the financial world, well, how the economy works, isn't it, really? And as a consequence, uh, but, you know, particularly, I guess it starts with the financial world and then it expands to the broader economy. And that focus is very much on the here and now. We value what we want now. We have little regard to the future, perhaps with a few exceptions. If we've got kids, we might be concerned about their future. But the benefit of that, some economists would say, is that we allocate resources based on needs as they are. The downside, obviously, is that we ignore the needs of future generations. And that's why we don't want to pay now for climate change prevention today uh, and the cost of that decision will be paid for by our children and yeah, interestingly isn't it you know we talk about debt the other way don't we we say well we don't want to pass debt onto our children uh, but we uh, but we also don't want to spend in favor of our children this is a fundamental flaw in economics steve isn't it there's no time scale yeah and and and, and this is arguably why we're going to have a uh, ecological crisis, not in the lifetime of our kids, but our own damn lifetimes, frankly, uh, because we continue putting off. We 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 can't perceive the future. And one of my favourite uh, bands was 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 the Doors, and there's a wonderful line in one of the Jim Morrison songs: "The future is uncertain, and the end is always near." And you know, I think he died at 27, didn't he, proving his own hypothesis. Yeah. Um, but fundamentally, that that fact is. We're not, we're not as extreme as Jim Morrison and how much our focus is on the here and now and gratification immediately. But it is something which we don't have a sense of ourselves as custodians of life on this planet. And and this may reflect much more on Western civilization than it does on um you know, uh, tribal civilizations at some point, that the, the contrast between what, what American... Indian philosophy was before the before the white men turned up, and then what happened when the white man got there is a classic. But I still think overall we do not have our sense of ourselves as preserving what we have for the future, um, and because of that, we have we have completely destroyed the sustainability of the system we're in now, and uh, the the crunch may well occur, you know, in the in the lifetime of the baby boomers, um, who have probably been the most short sighted generation in 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 history um I, th- I think we're going to see that crunch because of this inability to look more than 10 even five years in advance just people just don't do it 
Uh, and, the, and the system and we've we're got, all in the here and now. We are in the here and now, and the system demands it, don't they? So, and I mentioned last week Mark Carney's book, which actually, you know, the first few pages has been a good read. So I'm holding out hope. Mm-hmm. He, he talks about uh, <laughs> he talks about the he talks about value quite a bit, which is what we were talking about last week, uh, and how market mm-hmm. value might actually be out of kilter with what's the, the the best for us. So he gives the example of the the um, the clearing of the Amazon region, and it only has begins to have. Uh, market value once you've cleared the Amazon. So the Amazon as it is, you know, is a lot of trees, you know, wherever it's left, uh, has has no value except for the planet, of course, because, you know, it's been described as the, the Earth's lung. Uh, but from an economic point of view, it's got no value until you start clearing it so you can start, uh, d- um, uh, d- you know, creating value from that by selling crops. So it's, of course, destroying the, uh, the biodiversity of the planet. But he makes the point until that happens... Uh, it doesn't create any value, and the destruction of the rainforest appears on no ledger. Uh, uh, his words, I and mean, he's got a point. You know that we, we we actually pay ourselves to destroy the planet. Yeah, and actually, that I haven't yet read the um, uh, the recent report that the UK government uh, commissioned the Dasgupta report into climate change. Because I just I've read so much neoclassical crap I can't face face reading any more of it, frankly. Um, but I know that one part of that was to propose we should put a value, a price on the environment, and and therefore if you, you know, knock down an old growth tree, then you have a, a major negative price to pay. And by putting by valuing the ex, the external environment the same valuing the environment the same way you value the market system, that is supposed to solve all the problems. And I just think this is a massively short-sighted attitude. Again, the whole short-sighted thing. Um, we, because we're trying to use something which is contained within the environment as a way of measuring the value of the environment. And as you said, that's just... that that you know, we, we cannot know the price for carbon, for example, that's going to mean we don't cause the West, the West Antarctic ice shelf to collapse. We simply don't know. And the idea that you can put a price and that it will solve everything is just... Utterly ludicrous. It's this worshipping of price in economic theory, which has turned out how we think about capitalism, but that has made worse the humanity's own tendency to be short-sighted and not consider the future. But it's better than nothing, isn't it? If we say, well, OK, if you're doing something which impacts on the environment, um, then you should pay for it, whether you, whether it's polluting or destroying something. The problem is... It's very easy for countries that have already destroyed the environment to say that, isn't it? Whereas uh, developing nations where, they'll, you know, if they want to get any growth whatsoever, there's going to be some degradation of the environment involved in that. Even if it's just a bit of land clearing to build a very green factory, uh, there's, they're, you know, they're still perhaps destroying uh, natural rainforests. So it's very easy for us to say that. Not so easy for that, you know, unless you're going to plough piles of money into those developing nations to help them do it in a way which is going to be environmentally friendly, which, of course, we've got no interest in doing. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, 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 you look at it and it, it's partly, you know, throw your hands up in horror and walk away and do the short-term thing and watch the world go to hell in a handbasket. There's, there's a certain temptation to that. But I, I, my feeling, you know, I, I'm, I'm honestly, um, if, you, if you ask me to say what I think are the odds of human civilization surviving the next century... Um, I don't know that I'd get past the 50-50 odds in my overall thinking of, of whether we do it or not. because of climate change or...? Yeah, because of climate change. Fundamentally, what we've done to the climate is... And like I got another bloody moron from a finance sector have a go at uh, uh, a tweet I put out recently um, saying how it's all a scam. I mean, God, oh, fucking mighty, pardon me. Um, 
the capacity for people to, to not even, um, you know, comprehend the collective impact we're having on the planet is just breathtakingly stupid. But it comes out of that short, that short term, you know, the, the topic you've, you've chosen for this week, the short termism, which is inherent in us uh, as a species. And I think capitalism has made it worse um, not that, not to say that actual socialism did particularly well. If you wanted to point a disaster of socialism, the best example I think is the Ural. I think it's called the Ural Sea, which was which was completely destroyed by the Soviet Union. So I'm not saying socialism would be better. Um, in, in, is it actually practiced in, in in how it constrains our tendency to be too short term as a species? But capitalism and and the worshipping of the price system has, has made it far worse, and we're going to get to the point where this all falls apart, and you know, and, and think but how the hell we get here? It's, it's through that short termism. And in, but then yeah, but but that has to be embraced somehow in the market mechanism. We've got to find a way that we, without changing the no, price system. No, no, no. I mean, my my, because it's not going to happen otherwise. Because as you say, you can have prohibition. Okay, that that mm. part of the planet is off limits to humans. And I frankly think we're going to have to do that. We we will never do it collectively as a decision. Is anywhere in mind? Pardon? Whales? Whales? (laughs) You got anywhere in mind? (laughs) You don't mean the ones in the ocean here, okay? We're going to lose some whale subscribers out of this, you realise. <laughs> I love whales. And, and look, and I think <laughs> people would say, well, great, you know, we're happy to have no one else coming here. Uh, but, you know, if they're not going to destroy our countryside. But there we are. I think I've got myself out of that one, haven't I? Okay. Uh, uh, but the, uh, yeah, it's here and now. And it's the risk and reward, isn't it? That's the problem. I'm, I'm saying we uh, prohibition is fine, but it's not going to, it's, it's not going to happen, is it? Well, but, not, but, not until. So, not, so if you're, not, if you're not before worried, we have a crisis, not before we right, have a okay. crisis. And Afterwards, by, 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 what I'm by, thinking about. Right, but then it's too late, probably, isn't it? And so there has to be a way that you can find out some sort of market mechanism that's going to work on all of this. And, and even though it may not be wholly efficient, it's got to be better than doing nothing at all. And I think part of the problem is this whole thing about risk and reward, isn't it? Mm. That we that we, we that we take the rewards now. And we underestimate the risk because we are looking at the short-term risk as well. We don't look at the long-term risk. If you factored in the uh, destruction of the planet and climate change and the repercussions of that, uh, then uh, then the risk would be that much higher, wouldn't it? But we've got actually we you've got to actually know what that risk is, and this is the thing we yeah. we, we oh, well, have experienced. Given us, the Nordhaus has given us those. Yeah, things. it's trivial. It's, trivial. It's, it's, it's nothing yeah. at all. Nothing yeah, to worry no, about. Nothing to worry Surprise, about. Six we're even degrees, spending time yeah, talking about it. It's a nice sauna. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, so so this this short termism um, is only because if we actually had experienced climate change before, there's no damn way we'd be doing to the planet what we're doing now. It's only mm. the fact we haven't experienced, it and therefore it's completely uncertain, and therefore we can you know, let idiots like Nordhaus con us about the dangers we face, um, and we also can imagine that any damages are going to be in the future so it won't matter and we'll be richer and you know our descendants will have more capacity to to cope with it all this sort of nonsensical argument that's made but if we'd ever been through it before uh, i think it would be so cauterized into the psyche of humanity that that can never be allowed to happen again that prohibitions and saying this part of the planet is off limits uh, constraining the human belief that the planet was made for our benefit and and if you and and this uh, go forth and multiply 
uh, attitude that comes out of the you know, Christian religion uh, is something which has turned up in capitalism as well. And if we'd, maybe if we'd start with a different religious basis, with the religion of the uh, North American Indians or, or the Buddhist religion, uh, relatively speaking, if it was the only religion around rather than, uh, you know, because the Buddhists get wiped out by people need to become wealthy as well. I mean, living in a Buddhist society, I can see enormous disparities of wealth and power here. But the argument about uh, taking care of all life uh, being the primary focus of that religion, if, if that was built into our psyche and, and burnt into our psyche, then we wouldn't be doing what we're doing to the planet now. And There's some, yeah, yeah. There's some who argue that the finance system might help in this well, what? they are people I know there are people within the finance system arguing that the, the financial world might actually help with all of this because if the risk becomes so great for a company not being green and not looking after the environment people just won't invest in them so it'll be hard for them to raise the capital they need to initiate the projects which are going to be harmful so if we're if we're at that sort of stage now and some people would say yeah well banks are starting to, to operate that way now because the risk to them is too great uh, that they're not going to see the, the, the returns because the, these companies will be... Um, a lot of it will come from future legislation. So you might but you know, invest in, in building a coal plant right now only to discover that in two years' time that coal plant is going to be told it has to close down and yet you've got, you've got a 20-year payback. The, uh, the, the, you know, the, they won't raise the capital for that coal plant now because of that risk. So that will help a little bit. It doesn't help, of course, with all the money that's already in the financial system, the money that is swilling around in the uh, in the share market and companies that currently exist that you know have got money to spend and they um, they don't care what their share price is. Apart from the CEO who might have options, uh, they they'll just carry on doing whatever is going to be the best for them in the short term. So I'm wondering whether actually, you know, th- there's a point there that maybe in the in in, in for new projects the finance system uh, finance banks etc will help but the issue really is the fact that we still rely largely on on companies operating uh, on on the share market and that could drive this short termism because you get paid instantly uh, you know as as shares go up and down yeah i mean the, the fact that you know quarterly reporting matters in firms these days i mean the only stuff which would actually be substantial on like a quarterly basis was if you suddenly managed to perfect a battery technology that uh, in one quarter that makes you far better than you were the previous quarter. But when you look at it quarter by quarter, it's the feedback of you know, the dynamics of the stock market that are determining your price, not anything you're doing. So making your rewards, you know, corporate rewards based on quarterly performance is another incredible example of short-termism. And again, yeah. if the price system was going to do it, uh, then it should have been doing it 50 years ago. You know, coal should have been becoming more expensive uh, 50 years ago. Uh, if we wanted to do it now, we've got, we've got to decide we've got to go from you know, heavily being coal-dependent coal for energy production to zero coal. Uh, the price is going to have to go, you know, adjust at an infinite speed. And that only happens in economics textbooks. So I wonder whether, in fact, in that case, you know, if you're looking for one or two things, key things to pinpoint that will drive change, but that are not a whole change to the system, actually saying uh, paying people in, uh, in, in benefits or having a share ownership above a certain level for CEOs and senior managers in the company is what you just stop that happening because then they'll lose that short term focus. You know, they the only because decisions made by CEOs very often who only stick around for three or four years in a in a job is to get the share price up to a point where they get their options so they can walk out looking a lot better mm. off than they went in. 
you've got to stop that behavior because that 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 does drive that short-term behavior and then maybe you'll get ceos who uh first of all accept the fact that you know maybe they shouldn't be earning mega millions because they're actually not that much smarter than the rest of us uh, and secondly they might actually start to uh, worry about the planet a bit more uh, because they you know rather than worrying about their own pocket because uh, they're not going to make any more money with whatever they do um, they may as well focus on, you know, what's best, not just for the company, but for the planet. Yeah, you know, it could be a shift of thinking. Or maybe uh, get a whole new generation of CEOs who aren't motivated just by screwing as much money as they can out of shareholders. Yeah, um, <laughs> we're not going to do that. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Um, to, to me, uh, we're going to find that our short-termism blows up in our own faces because... Uh, the changes that we think are going to be happening in 50 or 100 years' time are going to be happening in five or 10 years' time. And then uh, you, you, with, with that fast uh, calamity coming your way, you can't adjust it by adjusting the prices to, to, uh, to benefit uh, now. You, you can't suddenly become long-term when you've been going down the wrong route for 50 years. Um, uh, with short-term thinking, so I. But we have you know, to. We're going to. We're going to be forced into it, and when we are, it's it's it normally ends up being you know, a war, which results, or um, a, a, a dictatorial system rather than a price system. Right. And that's but there has to be another answer, Steve. Right. Huh? But you've time and time again, when we've touched topics like this, you've always said, well, there's going to be some major calamity and then we'll realise. Hmm. But I look at uh, I look at COVID-19 and, uh, you know, and what that's done to, to us all. And I haven't got high hopes that we're going to change our ways as a result of that. So we had a global pandemic that could have, you know, could have if we hadn't have found a vaccine, we would have been right royally stuffed the planet, uh, the world over. God knows how many millions uh, would have died as a as a result of this thing, but we we I don't think we'll, we will have learned too much. Our system will not. economic system will not. Yeah, yeah, we're going to go back so, again. But that, that's so. Com- that, so that so calamity not, calamity is not the answer. And anyway, it's too late. Anyway. Well, it depends there has to be you, something what, we can what do. What scale that uses calamity do you want? I mean, you know, you, you, you know, we have enough. You know, the guy I mentioned a moment ago had a dig about one of my tweets. Is also a uh, reading his reading his own tweet line he's a covid covid conspiratist he's a covid idiot um, right. well, um, so you know and there's so because it is something which you know it, its death rate is not so bad that people are you know collapsing next to you in the train um, and therefore they can say it's only mine, you know, it's just another version of the flu, blah, blah, blah. It's that's worse, we haven't been going worse. on the train. Okay. If we had been going on the train, that's because we haven't been going on the trains. That has helped. If we had they- all been going on the trains, then they would have been collapsing. Well, not collapsing immediately, but we'd all no, be getting no, very sick. You're going to disturb the COVIDians with that argument. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> it, 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 yeah, true, we have responded to it. But it's still not an existential threat. I mean, if you had something which is going to wipe out 100% of us, um, and, and you realise that that's the threat you face, then your behaviour is very, very different than thinking you might not wipe out 0.5 to 1% of us, even though 0.5 to 1% is pretty damn calamitous. It ain't a calamity on the scale that means we're all, you know, we're, uh, that we're all going to die. Now, it, it's when you face that sort of existential threat, you know, and then the, the last time it was anything like that for humanity anywhere was the World War II, um, then your behaviour has changed absolutely radically. Um, and after it, at least for a while, let's look back at the last time we faced an existential threat. There was a change in philosophy. There was a change in how we thought about how society should be organised. One of my favourite documents is the White Paper on Employment published by the Australian Government, I think in 1946, written by Nugget Coombs, who was one of these fantastic public servants. And there's a phrase in there about the 
the emphasis on government macroeconomic policy. And it was that the, the purpose of government policy is to put such pressure upon the economy as to guarantee a shortage of, jo- a shortage of men rather than a shortage of jobs. And right. of course, the, the whole focus of neoclassical economics ever since then was to get rid of that and say, let the market decide. And, and now we have these ideas of using the unemployment rate as a stabiliser for the inflation system, which is why people are worried about, uh, you know, low unemployment are going to have high inflation coming out. Um, it, 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 is, it has degraded the social focus, yeah. Yeah, awful thought that everyone might have a job because uh, well, mm. that could cause inflation, yeah, uh, which, which people with jobs would have to pay for. So, uh, so if you're unemployed sitting at home uh, with no hope of getting a job in the future, just think what a great job you're doing in keeping inflation down. Uh, hopefully you can live with that as you, uh, as you look at the starving kids on the other side of the table. Yeah, that's where we've got to, isn't, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is, it is. And, and so we're, we're in no position whatsoever to be able to talk about transitioning from this society to one where we actually have a long-term focus and bringing in, you know, because worshipping the price system has got us to this position, Mm. uh, uh, I I don't think extending that price system so it takes in the environment is going to be the solution. But I wonder whether, because so much, so much of uh, the economy is actually the, the public sector and governments can control that. We just need to change government thinking, which might be easier than changing the whole of society's thinking, except, of course, the whole society votes them in. But government budgets are, are very short-term focused, obviously, because, you know, it's this focus on balancing them in, in uh, you know, normally we focus on balancing them when times are bad. You know, when the, the spending is high, we go, well, how can we cut back spending, which obviously was, we know is the worst time to do it, rather than saying, well, let's average them over a decade or a couple of decades or over 40 years. Uh, and, you know, if you were to do that, you could look back in the United States, for example, I think that the deficit uh, averages about 15 or 20 percent a year for like 150 years. If you took the average, it would be about 15 percent. So you could of say, GDP. well, it, yeah, uh, of, no, of, uh, no, the of deficit versus the, the total budget. So they are overspending by about fifteen percent. If you averaged over over the last hundred and fifty, oh, they're years. creating money. <laughs> Let's get that they're right. Basically, yeah. yeah, that's right. They're creating fifteen percent uh, of uh, you know of, uh, as a not a proportion of the the money supply, but as a proportion of their total budget. So uh, you know, and obviously, a lot of that gets um, uh, disappears through uh, through inflation over the years. So why not say, well, okay, if we're doing that now, it's fifteen percent or twenty percent. Let's just average our spending uh, and, and allow for the fact that there'll be years when it could be 50%, years when it could be, you know, it might make sense to, to balance it. So, the, you know, the whole modern monetary theory argument, isn't it? We could do that, and that would help, wouldn't it? Because that would allow you to then take a longer-term view. But currently, even governments are thinking short-term because they only think to the, uh, to the next election, obviously. Uh, and a lot of that focus is on, yeah, how do we get the, the, the books back in balance? Yeah, okay, I think there's an innate element in humanity uh, which is too short-term, and economics has made that an order of magnitude worse. Um, and funnily enough, a large part of that is thinking that, that a, 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 a rationalisation economists will make all the time is to imagine that people are maximising utility over an infinite future, which they actually, in fact, know uh, what that future is going to be. So this casual use of infinity as part of the way economic theory works out is partly what's made us so damn short-sighted in our thinking because we're thinking, well, everybody is actually, what they're really doing when they're going out and doing their shopping is thinking about the infinite future of the dynasty of which they are part uh, and, and therefore the price must be okay. Yeah. And it's- <laughs> I can hear you. That sounds like one too many gin at lunch. 
<laughs> Maybe. No, I'm. I'm. I'm I want to. I'm wanting to look at this idea of uh, you know intergenerational a bit more. You said something last week, and I've always thought that about uh, you know everyone should start from the same position. So it makes no sense that if you are uh, one of Murdoch's kids, then you might. Um, inherit not only a very good job as the CEO of a, a multimedia company, uh, but also, you know, you're going to get very rich through inheritance. And uh, that allows you to invest more and make more money out of having money and all that sort of stuff, all the bad stuff that comes out of uh, intergenerational wealth. Mm. But um, we do, in our mind, want to pass on uh, something to our children, you know, for legacy reasons. Mm. So if you're, you know, it's nice to go knowing that you've given your kids a bit of a leg up. And uh, but we'll do that with money, but we won't, you know, we won't necessarily do it with with climate change because we don't want to incur those costs now. It's all very good to pass money on to the kids uh, when you can't spend it, uh, but it's hard to think about how you could spend that money now to make the planet better for our kids. But that's the thinking we've got to have. But that means I am incurring a loss now. To look after their future, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, we have, maybe we, we, if have we actually to do it, yeah. maybe if we actually said, well, when when you die, all the money goes to projects which are going to tackle climate change. Maybe I mean we get rid of intergenerational wealth by taking all that money and and putting it into green projects. Well, we may be forced into doing that, um, and, that and that's. I mean, again, it's is it an evolutionary necessity that the creature that comes up dominating a planet has the short term focus. I, I honestly, you know, that, that, that's that's the sort of hypothetical I'm trying to get my head around right now. And and we are as as, a, as an omnivore and a, you know the, the, the dominant predator on the planet, an omnivore in general. Uh, every everything uh, that can be eaten, we've regarded as ours, and we're focused on what we call human rights. We've completely ignored what you might call life rights. Um, mm. But for human rights to exist, there has to be life in not just human life, but a whole range of other uh, life forms of which we are part, which we should regard ourselves as a custodian for life because we're, we're, we're the only ones that write treatises about things, okay? We should be the ones who are saying, okay, our responsibility is to life in general on this planet. Uh, and then uh, what happens, what comes to humans as part of that is a subset of, of, of the... Uh, of the life, yeah. the overall existence of life on the planet. Of course. We are miles but, but it's from doing that. Never going to happen. Well, look, I mean, look at COVID. So we are not prepared to give vaccines, uh, you know, we're, we're to our fellow humans. Yeah. yeah. To, to our fellow humans. You know, there's all this vaccine nationalism going on. So, we, you know, if we can't even look after fellow humans, how are we going to look after the planet as a whole? That is the, that, that's the sad truth of it, isn't it? it but is. we, But we are concerned about our kids. And that's what I think it's, uh, even though it might be selfish and, you know, it is just ego that, uh, you know, it's the reason why you have kids. You want to leave a, a bit of yourself after you've died. If we're all, you know, mm. all being brutally honest, that's a bit of why we uh, why we procreate, apart from the fact it's fun at the time. Mm -hmm. So um, Another piece you know, of short-termism. Uh, <laughs> Do you remember that, that wonderful ad? Did you ever see that wonderful <laughs> ad with a, a, a fairly groovy-looking, I'm using a 1960s term there, but fairly cool-looking guy, you know, beard and sort of... Uh, uh, cool-looking cat. Uh, you know, walking down a supermarket <laughs> with a child who's throwing an absolute tantrum. Wants this, wants that, crying. And everybody's looking at this guy in a very embarrassed way, and then the ad comes up and says, next time, wear a condom. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, where, where are we going in all of this? We are too short-term thinking. We are too selfish. Uh, and how do we switch that? And, and can the system change that? I, 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 
Well, There's got to be an answer to this, Steve. Well, I, I, that's why I think the only if, if we are going to ever have a long-term perspective, it's going to take an enormous existential crisis for our species that means that that gets engraved into our minds and we never let it happen again. And I'm going to go for sci-fi now, but one of the... Uh, there's a guy called Greg Beer, Beer, I think it was, who was a fabulous sci-fi writer and had a whole a tree of books, one of which was called The Anvil of the Anvil of, 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 of Stars, I think it was. And um, in that, there's a... You know, we, we, the Earth gets invaded by a species which actually just tries to wipe out life in other planets. That's its objective. And... Uh, uh, the, the, another uh, species turns up on Earth to, to pull out a few who will become survivors and the rest of the Earth gets destroyed. And they're, they're forced to watch the, um, the Earth being destroyed by this other species uh, so to make sure that they then become dedicated to wiping out this you know, destructive species elsewhere in the, in the galaxy. It's all very sci-fi and so on, obviously. But the idea is if you didn't see the destruction being wrought, by the, the behaviour, you would not go and then try to stop that behaviour. And I think that's where we are. We, Unless we see the level of destruction we're going to cause by our short-termism, and they therefore have that being ingrained into our species here, we will never forget it. And the first lesson you learn at school is the res- our responsibility to life on the planet um, and therefore the restraint of what humans can do on this planet. Uh, and, until that happens, I think where short-termism is going to doom us to you know, experiencing yeah. that crisis, and it's a toss-up well, which way we'll go, whether we'll survive or not. That's why we uh, that's why we ignore genocide in Africa because it wasn't on TV enough. So therefore, we can uh, you know politely ignore it, which we did, of course. So you know, it's uh, yeah, we 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 don't see what's going on. Uh, even though it's it's blindingly obvious, and that's that's the concern, isn't it? But also, doesn't it? At the end of the day, I mean, you know, before this catastrophic event, by which time it might be too late, so I'm not sure that's the best the best road. Uh, those of us who are left might then think, oh, this is a, this is a problem. Uh, which could happen with the next pandemic as well, by the way. I mean, we, we talked uh, uh, a couple of years ago about pandemics and how most research uh, in science was being commercialised, and therefore uh, we made the point that, you know, we weren't preparing for a pandemic. We said that. I've yeah, forgotten uh, that. Ironic. We did, didn't we? A couple of years ago. About four, about four months before the <laughs> pandemic actually hit. Hey, Liz, that's, uh, we should re- re- put that one out again. For freebie. Yeah, I think we should. Yeah, just put a, it just out again. That's a good yeah, point, yeah. 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 But the um, but but we are consuming more and more, and a big chunk of that. I mean, so if we could moderate that uh, our focus on consuming, that's obviously going to help. Particularly if it, we 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 focus on how much the rich are consuming, because I'm sure that they are uh, absorbing more uh, destruction on the planet through that through their behaviour. So when we look at what's happened since the 80s, of course, you know, we, you know, you and I grew up in an age, well, actually the tail end of an age where everybody saved everything before they bought anything. Mm. And now the focus obviously is, you know, we're making the problem worse because we are borrowing to spend. So we're bringing forward uh, future income to spend now by increasing that borrowing. And being so encouraged wrong. to do it by the financial sector. Yeah. That is that is yeah. a big part okay. of the problem, isn't it? If we actually spent what but, we but, had, yeah. but, that would slow everything down. It would slow the economy down, of course, and you know, we, uh, everyone would see that as being a, a, as a big problem because it would mean that we... Well, what would it mean? It would mean we'd lower our standard of living. But then we have to lower our standard of living to save the planet. But, yeah, that's, but that's, again, that in terms of short-termism, that's a good little example because... I've, uh, if you if you look what happened with the Great Depression and the Second World War, that was such a you know, devastating experience for those who went through it that 
they their behavior after the after the war was totally different to what it was before the great depression and before the war the roaring 20s was you know called the roaring 20s for an obvious reason it was a, a boom time parties you know irresponsible conspicuous consumption was was the order of the day then you had the great depression then you had narcissism then you had the second world war uh, all that incredible devastation and people came home from it would would not be would you would not go into debt because that was you'd seen what that led to in the in the previous mm. generation, and um, but we forgot it. I mean, every time we forget these things, the lesson gets unlearnt. And 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 uh, like I, I remember one of the thing, a little cameo from my own youth. Uh, we had had relatively wealthy relatives living on the north shore of Sydney, and I was as a young kid, I was sent to go and get the you know, cutlery and, and lay out the table. And I remember how this was this strange paper lined all the drawers, the cutlery drawers. I worked out later in life that strange paper were share certificates from the 1920s, wow. which went bust yeah. in the 1930s. Yeah, so we need to go through something like that again, or we just need to somehow... Rem- but, edu- but preserve the memory. Yeah. Preserve the... Because we forgot this. I mean, if you ha- if we actually understood what caused the Great Depression, and of course mainstream economy hasn't got a fucking clue what caused it, um, and, and, and how that led to the Second World War, which Keynes himself was aware of after the First World War, all this stuff would... If it was something which which was ingrained into you and passed on from generation to generation, then we wouldn't be caught up in the cycles we are in now, where we're repeating the the Roaring Twenties, you know, the the nineties and the nineties, the noughties, and, uh, and to some extent the po- the post pandemic era are going to be seen as a, another one of the, 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 the you know periods of ostentatious consumption and speculation by the human species, uh, because we haven't preserved those lessons. Unless we do. We're going to be caught in another crisis of short-termism, but this time it's going to be existential on the scale of the planet. Do you know when uh, food rationing ended in the UK, incidentally, after the uh, after the second? I think it was in the 1960s, wasn't no, it? No, like not really quite that. 62. No, not quite that bad. Hmm? 19, 1954, though. So it's still nine years after, after the war. I think that is yeah. why, because one of the things that was rationed was soap, and it was rationed quite uh, heavily. I think that's why uh, Aussie started going on about uh, smelly poms, because of course there was a lot of migrants going over to. Australia in the 1950s, and uh, they probably... You weren't in the habit of soap. You weren't in the habit yeah. of using soap too much, and then they land themselves in a rather hot country where it's easy to sweat. So, uh, yeah. Mm. But, I mean, that was... And so, you know, through the 50s to the 60s, you know, that, that, that attitude of you've got to save your money and not spend too rashly uh, was very much ingrained in people. Uh, and, yeah, in the 80s... And accepted. And accepted, yeah. Accepted given the circumstances. You, 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 you railed against it to some extent, but you accepted it given the circumstances of the time. Sadly, we're not at that stage, are we? We are probably uh, coming out of COVID-19 with those who've got money are going to behave like it's the roaring 20s. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get worse. All right, well, there we are. Uh, we've solved nothing again, as usual, every time we touch as, usual, as, you, as we yeah. touch on this on, on this issue. But, I mean, there's a couple of things there that we could be doing, isn't there? I mean, I, I, I just wonder whether, you know, we need to rein in the excess. I mean, it's not going to solve the problem, but we need to rein in the excesses of the very rich spending very rashly. Uh, and uh, surely we can do that through whether it's taxation or uh, th- the way that the share market operates and the way that... Uh, uh, bonuses are offered to to try and you know rid ourselves of that short term thinking in the uh, in enlisted companies. That's got to be a large part of it, hasn't it? That's got to be something we can actively tackle. It's something we can tackle, but we won't until after it happens. <laughs> there we go again. All right. 
cheerful. Well, I hope I'm one of those who survives. Good to talk, Steve. Well, I live in England, so any, you know, I mean, you know, you know, if we if the weather if we get one and a half degrees improvement in the weather here, then that's you know, we'll be doing well. Hey, watch out! You could qualify. You could be in line for the Nobel Prize with talk like that. Well, that's all those figures that show that the UK GDP. I've seen that. You know how how devastating climate change is going to be on the world, and how much GDP is going to shrink, and then they have the figure for the UK, and the UK GDP is actually increasing as a result of it. You've got to think there's something wrong with that model, haven't you? Anyway, mm. good to talk, Steve. Catch you next time. Okay, mate. Bye. Yeah, the problem is, of course, everything to do with capitalism is all about getting money as quick as possible and then spending it as quick as possible so you get the velocity of money up, even though it has slowed down, arguably, over the last few decades. But uh, you know, how do you fight against that trend without being called a raving communist? That's the problem, isn't it? That's it for this week. Uh, Steve and I back again next week. I'm Phil Dobby. He's Steve Keen. Back for another one then. See you soon. 